When you become a follower of Jesus, or if you've been around church very long, you may have heard the vernacular, the terminology of when someone gets saved. It's really this idea, this concept of God saving you from sin and God saving you into the body of Christ, the church. You get translated. You get moved from one place into another. You get this beam me up Scotty effect, right? It's like I was here. I was disconnected. I wasn't a part, but now I've been moved over here by something outside of my ability, outside of anything I could do on my own. I have now been translated. I've been transformed. I've been moved, and now I'm a different person as a result of this moving, as a result of this shift. And when we look at this, you know, you move from darkness to light. You move from disconnected to being connected. And you get an entire new life, but you also get a new family. And that's something that we always try to help people to see when they become a follower of Jesus is that, yes, you become a Christ follower. You're connected to God, but you're also connected to all those other people who are also connected to God now. You get new brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you have been hanging around church long enough and you may be a little old school like me where maybe you went to a church or you grew up in a church where you called everybody brother and sister on a Sunday morning. And they're like, hey brother so and so and sister so and so. It kind of sounds weird to some people, but I mean, if you grew up with that being normal like I did, you didn't think that much of it. But that's the idea that we were trying to communicate is that, hey, we weren't a part of something and now we are. We weren't connected to something, and now we are. The Bible uses family language a lot when it comes to the kingdom of God, as where we see the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5. He talks about this idea, this concept of being adopted into the family of God, where we were once strangers. He actually calls us, before we were translated, before we were brought into this family, he calls us enemies of God. You who were once enemies of God. Now you've been adopted. I mean, who would go out and adopt their enemies? You know, you go to, you know, like some sort of adoption agency and they're like, well, what kind of child do you have in mind? What age, you know, is there any specifications? Yeah, how about an enemy? That's who I want to adopt. This is what God did. This is how big his grace is. He adopted us. He grafted us in. He made us apart. And then all of that stuff from our past that made us an enemy, he washed away. He wiped away. This is the good news of the gospel. And now we've been brought into this idea, this concept of being family. And not just natural family, like what we say when we talk about like blood relatives, but forever family. So look at the person on your right. And look at the person on your left. And if they are a follower of Jesus, you're stuck with them (laughs) forever. Like literally, you are with them forever. I mean, that's the concept here. And here's the part that blows my mind. Like we have this value of our natural family. We say things like, oh, so-and-so, like their blood, right? Like blood is thicker than water. We say these things because blood family matters. But some of us, maybe even most of us, have family members that are blood relatives that may not be a part of our forever family. So there's people here that maybe you've been now having relationship with that you need to look at as this isn't just like a temporary thing. 
This is a forever thing. So here's the thing. In any relationship, any relationship, don't care what it is, there's going to be challenges. And God wants us to succeed in healthy relationships. And for us to do that, now that we've been translated, now that we have this new, new identity, now that we have this new connection to God as followers in Jesus, we now need to kick the bad habits that we had before we knew Jesus. We have to kick out the old ways of thinking, the old patterns of behavior, the old values of how we used to navigate relationships because the way you navigate relationships in the context of forever family should be different now that you are a new creation, as the Bible says, in Christ. A new creation in Christ means different than before, right? And so that means I should be interacting, behaving, dealing with challenges and problems dealing with all of these relational nuances differently than I did before I was a new creation. Because Jesus didn't come along to just make you a better person and enhance how great you were before. It wasn't like Jesus was like, you know what? You guys were pretty good, but I'll just kind of sprinkle a little extra just to kind of, you know, bring out the flavor, you know, make them, make them just a little better. No, 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 Jesus didn't come to make you better than you were. Jesus came to give you complete new life, to give you a complete overhaul, to make you a new creation. And so now, in that new creation life, there has to be a new creation way of thinking, a new creation way of interacting. And that's what you and I have to learn, because when we come into this thing, we can be a follower of Jesus, we can be someone who accepts Christ as our Savior, we can put our faith in Jesus, But man, those bad habits and those old patterns of thinking still creep up. And the Bible calls this renewing the mind. And so we have to begin to learn how to think like a new creation because Jesus changes us at the heart level, at the spiritual level. And now our life needs to bear fruit of the Spirit of God on the inside of us. So now my desires are oriented a different direction. And because my desires are oriented in a different direction, my decisions, therefore, should follow suit because that's how it works. Your desires are first, and then you make decisions out of those desires. And then out of those decisions that you make, it's going to determine your destiny and the pathway that you're going to be on. So if you're going to be able to walk and navigate this in a way that's honoring to God, it starts with those desires, that new creation piece. Now we got to learn the next step. we got to learn this piece now that he's changed our heart. It's really important for us to understand how relationships impact our lives. And I know that we've heard little sayings about, you know, um, you need to, you know, fly with eagles instead of, you know, like walk around with turkeys or whatever. I don't know the saying. It's something about eagles and turkeys, and I can't remember it. It It's popped in my head, and I had to say it. And I thought maybe if I said it, I would remember it, and I didn't. So, (laughs) So you have to understand, though, that you're moving at the current speed of your, your current relationships. This is the speed of life that you're moving at. You're moving at the speed of your current relationships. And I'm not talking about every single person that you know or come in contact with. I'm talking about those people who are closest to you, those people that you're taking cues from, those people that you're spending time with, that you're drawn to, or those people that are drawn to you. And if you look at the trajectory of your life, you can look at that person's friendships and you can be able to tell a lot about where they're going to go and where they're headed. Your closest relationships, they're like an elevator. They're either taking you up or they're taking you down. These are the people that are in your circle, you know, that inner circle of closest relationships that are impacting you probably more 
then you actually realize. If you have your Bible, go over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to read verse 33. So Matthew 12, verse 33. Jesus gives us some very practical advice. This is what he says in Matthew 12, 33. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. When I lived in Wisconsin, we bought this house. We were so excited about it because we had never had a house that had fruit trees before. <laughs> I hate fruit trees now. <laughs> I'm not excited about fruit trees. I used it as a selling point when I needed to sell my house because I thought someone else would be excited about fruit trees. But we had these fruit trees, man. I remember one of them was an apple tree, right? And this apple tree made these tiny little apples that were just bitter and awful and just like, this is not even worth eating. But guess what? You still got to clean all of it up because this apple tree just loved to produce apples. And then we had this other tree that was supposed to be a peach tree. I don't know if you know much about Wisconsin, but it's not known as the peach state. <laughs> I think Georgia is more conducive to peach farming. But man, this tree would produce these little tiny peaches that would just rot away so quickly and cause all kinds of bugs that would be attracted to the scent and all sorts of things. And then we had a pear tree, all right? A pear tree, man, this was like the best producing pear tree in the world. Like it made like a gazillion pears. And like to the point that we lived on the, uh, on the corner, of our little subdivision, right? And so this is in a subdivision, not like on a big farm or anything. And people are walking by like on the sidewalk and stuff. And I would put a sign next to this tree, free pears, please take as many as you want. And little kids would come with their little wagons and load them up. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> There's no human being that could eat this many pears. I just hate, hate fruit trees with the passion. I love eating fruit but I don't like fruit trees. And when I looked at these trees, man, there was this one tree that was a plum tree, right? And I really appreciated the person who lived there before me because they planted these trees, man, and uh, man, they, they, they just didn't produce the fruit that, man, I, I was after. And it was like I didn't know how to make it healthy. And so what a lot of people do is they try to start with the fruit. How do I make this fruit better? Well, let me take like a cleaner bottle and like clean each individual piece. And maybe I could spray something on here. Maybe I could spray this outside thing to try to deal with this outside result. No, actually, the fruit and the bitterness and all of the things like that, it's all coming from the root system, from the ground, from the environment that it's in. The fruit is just the outcome. The fruit is just what all's happening underneath the soil that we can't see. And the fruit is just that end result. And if that fruit is bad and it's not usable and all it's good for is for me to make my children go clean up once a year, then, <laughs> then I'll tell you, it, it, it's very frustrating 
Because you're like, what is this even good for at this point? Because the fruit is not good. And this is what Jesus is saying. So many people want to just try to make better fruit by dealing with the external things. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got to get all the way down to all those other pieces. And I know in Iowa, we've got a lot of good farmers and farming, farming mentality that understands the environment, that understands the soil, that understands the different nutrient content and when to water and when to plant and all those things. And you understand, man, that part is so important because what the end result is going to be is going to be a direct result of the environment that it's in and the strength of the root and the, and the right kind of soil and the right kind of nutrition. And it's the same thing with the heart of man. It's the same exact thing. So if you're surrounding yourself with other people that's creating an environment that's toxic and they're producing toxic fruit in their life and these people are the people that you're spending the majority of your time with, they're going to influence your environment. So don't be surprised when you have negative fruit coming out of your lives. Don't be surprised when you have negative things coming out of your mouth. Don't be surprised when you're having negative emotions, negative thought patterns, when you're beginning to get offended at people you've never even met before because someone is sharing their toxicity and their offense, because now all of these things are creating this environment that's affecting you. This is what Jesus is trying to help us to understand. The thing that connects you relationally will be the foundation for what sustains you relationally. You have to ask yourself and evaluate your closest relationships based off of what connected us to each other. What was the thing that really connected us, that made us want to continue to have relationship? What's the thing that we really shared as a value or some people connect over great things. They connect over uh, the love that they have for God. They connect over the fact that they just really genuinely enjoy one another's company and they're easy to talk to. They're good listeners. They, they are, they're caring. They're loving. They're generous, whatever. And they connect over these things. And those types of things will be the things necessary as the foundation that's going to sustain that relationship to help it to continue to grow. But, and no one here maybe another church down the street, you know, or something, maybe your neighbor, sometimes people connect over negative things, right? Oh, come on. I mean, we've all done this. I remember there was this guy in my life. I was 19, 20 years old, somewhere in that range, just getting started in ministry. I, I was a full-time youth pastor at 18 years old, and so I'm the youth pastor at this church, and the associate pastor, good guy, you know, we started connecting, having this friendship, all this stuff. And I, I was starting to get to know him a little bit more, but, you know, we weren't really super close. Well, then all of a sudden, one day, he opens up to me about how he's really frustrated with our senior pastor. And guess what? I shared in that frustration. And he and I were frustrated about similar things. And then all of a sudden, we got really close and we got closer and closer and closer and closer. And our relationship was very unhealthy because the thing we would always regularly talk about that got us close and that connected us deeper was our frustration over our boss. That was the thing that we shared that made us really tight buddies. And for a long time, we had no other really deep connection other than this dislike for the way we were being treated or how we thought things should be going. 
And there are people in your lives that, man, you get connected over an offense. You get connected over something negative. You get connected over something at work. You get connected uh, something that's happening at a certain level that you can't control. Maybe even your disdain for the government, whatever it may be. People get connected, and that becomes the thing that, like, is their shared peace that brought them together as this, this, this pair, and it's not a positive thing. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't other positive aspects of the relationship, because me and this associate pastor had many other positive aspects, but the thing that brought us close, I mean, we were just kind of like fringe friends. We were just like coworkers, guys that enjoyed each other, but the thing that whoo, brought us together was this negative piece, and man, it affected our relationship and our attitude towards our boss. It affected our relationship towards a lot of things in life. We became hypercritical. We became critical of everything. And you know how it is when you're offended, right? Every little thing the person you're offended at does gets like amplified and blown out of proportion because you begin to like hunt things and you begin to like look for things and your sensitivity increases to things that they do or say or don't do or don't say so that you can somehow vilify them and you can somehow elevate how right you are and how wrong they are. And this is what happens when we're, when we're offended, when we're hurt. And if we connect over that toxicity, we can, we can connect over this and we think we're doing something good. But if we're not moving forward and there's not good fruit, we have to step back and examine these types of relationships, church. Because what connected you is going to sustain you moving forward and as we evaluate as we evaluate our relationships what are the things that have connected us with people i i had to work through finding new connections with this guy and we did we worked through it and we talked through it we were able to do it he's a great guy we're still friends not as close as we used to be but even to this day if we get together it's really easy for us to slip right back into talking about some of those things that happened 20 22, 23 years ago. That's not healthy. I need to evaluate those things because you're moving at the speed of your current relationships. So these relationships can either be people who are walking with you to help propel you or people who are going to act as hindrances in your life to keep you stuck in something you need to be free from, to keep you stuck in something that you need to be healed from, to keep you stuck in something you need to be uh, just released from because it's holding you back and it's keeping something alive that needs to be dead and done with because it was in the past but it will freeze you in those things and building healthy relationships it starts with a healthy foundation you have to have a healthy foundation remember what jesus said out of this healthy foundation out of this healthy environment there's going to be healthy fruit. So the tree is going to be known by its fruit. It's either going to be good or it's going to be bad. And we have to evaluate our relationships based on the fruit of those relationships. And, and, and listen, here's, here's, man, this is the hard part, you guys. Because sometimes when you vent in relationships, it feels good. And maybe at a certain level, that's necessary to help you to have someone that you feel safe to talk to about certain things. Just don't let that negativity or that shared offense or whatever be the thing that you just keep alive that connects you in such a deep way that it holds you back. Are you hearing me this morning? So, so don't misunderstand that you shouldn't 
share your, your, your hurt or your, your offense or things like that. Just be careful what connects you to other people and how long you continue to allow those things to feed in your life because it's going to hold you back. It's going to produce bad fruit in your life because your inner life, it dictates your outer life. We are a reflection of what's happening on the inside. And some of us at a certain level have gotten very good at managing perception to where what people see We can make them think something, right? We can put the right Instagram filter on our lives. We can put the right mask on to make people think that everything is going a certain way when in reality, underneath the surface, it's not. But those who are in our inner circle, they see a little bit more behind the curtain than the rest of the world. And those things inside Those inner things in us and our inner rhythms and our inner thoughts and our inner meditations and our inner direction of worship in our heart, not the things we say we're about, not the things that we post on social media that we're about, the stuff that's really going on, that stuff is going to dictate that outer life. That's what Jesus was talking about. Let's read that again in verse 35. He said, the good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And so it's not about being perfect. It's not about having everything in your inner life perfect because, man, we wrestle with stuff on the inside, right? We have hard days. We have good moments, bad moments. Like, I'm right there with you. Like, I get that. I feel that. Like, that's reality. That's just who we are in our human nature. And so it's not Am I perfect and do I have everything figured out? But here's what I need to pursue. Hear me this morning. I need to pursue being healthy enough to navigate relationships and the issues that they bring. I need to say I want to be a healthy enough person that when these issues come, that I can have my discernment hat on, that I can see what's healthy, what's not healthy. I can see what's good and what's not good. And the only thing that makes me healthy inwardly The only thing that's going to make me healthy inwardly is my understanding and acceptance that is based in Scripture of the love of God towards me. That's it. That is it. The only thing that's going to make me healthy inwardly is the capacity I have to understand and accept this love of God that's based in Scripture, that's rooted in Scripture. Not what I feel, not what I think, but rather what God has said. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And here's our big idea for today. Your capacity to love is limited by your revelation of how much God loves you. Your capacity to love, it's limited by the revelation that you have of how much actually that God loves you. And so, yes, I want to have that good foundation. Yes, I want to have that ability to love other people. I want to have that ability to be able to walk in love even in my innermost life and in my innermost closest relationships. But for me to be healthy, for me to do that, what's that good ground look like? How do I get that ground good? How do I get that environment healthy? How do I have the right type of soil for those good things to not only be planted, but to be watered and to flourish and to turn into good, healthy fruit? How do I have that in my life? Well, I have to increase my capacity and this revelation of how much God 
loves me. It has to become reality. Matthew chapter 22, if you want to flip over just a few pages from Matthew 12. Matthew 22 and verse 34 is a very famous interaction that Jesus had. Matthew 22 verse 34 says, but when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. He's quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So you have to understand. When, when anytime you see in the scripture that someone quotes this concept of the law and the prophets, it would be the modern day equivalent of you and I saying the Bible says. All right? Because they didn't use the word the Bible. They didn't, you know, necessarily use the type of vernacular. They, even though we say we have a, there was a Hebrew Bible, they wouldn't have said, well, the Hebrew Bible says. They would have said the law and the prophets. And so Jesus is stating that written scripture, inspired by God, he's saying the written scripture actually is this idea, it's hung on this idea of loving God first and loving your neighbor as yourself. On this hangs all the scriptures is what Jesus is saying. So this is a very weighty statement. He's saying that this quote from the Shema, the prayer from Deuteronomy 6, he's saying this concept, this idea of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and then loving your neighbor as yourself, all of the scripture is hanging on this. This is how important this concept of love is. And, and here's the thing, not love as you define it, not love as human defines love, but the way God defines love. On that definition hangs all of the scripture, the law and the prophets. You can't separate the two. This is what Jesus is saying. You can't separate the law, the prophets, the scriptures, and the love of God. You can't separate these things. Because if you try to separate the scriptures from love, and you just want to use the scriptures, people do this all the time. They use the scriptures and they have no love. What do they do? They use it to manipulate, to control, to beat people up, right? They want to use the scriptures for their own advantage, for their own purposes, to be proven right. Look, see, ha, I'm right. The Bible says, ha, ha, you know? And they want to whack people around with the Bible, and they go and throw the Bible at people. There's no love behind it. There's just scripture, and they have truth. They have one element of it, but it's an incomplete element because Jesus said this whole thing is hinging, is hanging on the fact that you have to have this love for God, the, the, the law and the prophets actually, man, you have to have both of these things together because what happens if you do the opposite? If you say, oh, I have love, but you don't define love according to the scripture, well, then now you, you take the idea of love and you make it relative. And now love can mean anything. And the world that we live in, they reduce love to a feeling or to an experience, Right? When people who don't know Christ, when they, they try to explain this concept of love, 
They just mean approval, acceptance. Everything is okay that I want to do because if it feels good, do it. And if I want to enjoy it, then who are you to judge me and say that I shouldn't? And so there's no boundaries for it. There's no scripture. There's nothing that's, that's tying it together. And so they try to love and define love without the one who authored this idea of love in the first place. And so you have both extremes, either beating people up and becoming super religious like the Pharisees and becoming super judgmental, hypercritical, super negative, but you're using the Bible. Or you have this loosey-goosey, we don't really use the Bible, we just feel good about it because we like to feel good and this is how we express love and this is how we define love. And both are wrong. That's why Jesus said it this way. What's the greatest commandment? Well, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's love the Lord your God. It's because actually, as you love God, you're going to understand more his love for you. And it's going to translate or turn into an overflow out of you, good fruit, that's going to be you loving other people. The way you do this, man, on the, the law and the prophets, man, it's all, all riding on this together. This is the foundation, growth in how God loves us, growth in how God sees us. It helps us to build and maintain healthy relationships. This is how we do this, is that we look at how he first loved us. When we see the love of God that was poured out for you and for me, and we see how rich, how deep, how great, how no matter how much we explore it, no matter how much we sing about it, no matter how much we talk about it, man, we're not even scratching the surface, right? And so the more that I lean into the gospel, the more I lean into the good news that Jesus Christ would die for a sinner such as me, that his mercy is new every morning. When I lean into this idea and unpack and explore this concept of the love of God and God opens my eyes and opens my heart, guess what just happened? My borders, my capacity to be able to love other people increased just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And we're not only supposed to do that through us understanding the love of God through the scriptures, but through the way we experience the love of God in other people. That's why if I surround myself with people who are pursuing the heart of God the way I am pursuing the heart of God or the way I want to grow to pursue the heart of God, it's gonna challenge me because now the people who are influencing me, the people who are surrounding me, they're chasing after to understand this love of God. Somebody who thinks they've got it all figured out, they don't know. Somebody who thinks they know it all, uh, they're missing the point. Because how do we know if this person really loves God? Ah, glad you asked. How do you think you know if someone really loves God? You look at the fruit of their lives. What type of fruit are they consistently producing? Not, they're not perfect people, but they know that. They know that. They're humble in that. They're, they're willing to acknowledge their flaws. They're willing to acknowledge and be authentic with the fact that they don't have everything together. I love talking with older people who have been walking with the Lord for a long time and who say things to me like, I've been walking with Jesus for 40, 50 years, 60 years, and man, I, I, I just, 
am waking up every morning learning something new about the love of God, or I saw a new way God expressed his love towards me when I opened up the scriptures and saw this, or when I experienced this. When people like that talk to me, I'm like, I want to hang out with that type of person. I want to spend time with that type of person because I want that type of person to influence me and to influence my life. And I see how they treat other people. I see how they interact with other people, right? I see what they do. And then sometimes, more importantly, (laughs) I see what they don't do. (laughs) I see that they're not... uh, trying to engage in wars on social media, right? That they're not being hyper-negative. That they're not people who are producing fruit in my life. I don't want that. I don't want to be around that. I don't want to be someone who's pulling someone into my inner circle who's just constantly negative. And if that's the thing that connects me, man, I'm headed down a path that is not going to be healthy for me, and it's not a way to have healthy relationships. Over in 1 John 4.19, this is a really cool scripture. It says, we love because what? He first loved us. He loved because, we love because he first loved us. And so I want you to think about this this morning. God loved you first. Think about this concept. Meditate on this. Maybe throughout the day today. Think about the fact that God chose in his foreknowledge of how bad you were going to be. All the mistakes he knew you were going to make. God chose to love you ahead of time. God chose to love you even knowing all the things, man, all the regrets you have. God still chose to love you first. You didn't qualify for his love because you met a certain standard when you became good enough and all of a sudden God said, okay, you're in like he's the bouncer outside of the heaven club. And he's like, okay, you're good enough. You can come in. You can come in and, you know, sip some forgiveness and some grace. No, no, no. God's not the bouncer at the, at the club waiting for you to become cool enough or good enough or figure everything out. No, no, no. God is saying, I want to make a way for you while you're still my enemy to be adopted and become forever family. Come on, somebody. Come on. Come on. You see, Jesus isn't the bouncer that leads to the door. Scripture says Jesus is the door. He is the gate for the sheep. And he has opened a door that no man can shut. You know that scripture in Revelation, by the way, where it goes to the seven churches and it talks about Jesus says to the church, he says, I've opened a door for you that no man can shut. You want me to give you a little context, a little cool historical piece for that that's going to bless you this morning? So in that city that Jesus was addressing, and one of the seven, I can't remember which one it was, but somebody will tell me later. In in that city, this is true, you you can fact check me on this. During that day, the Romans tolerated the, uh, the Jewish people to let them do their thing, right? And they would keep a register of all of the Jews in that city. And they did this in every Roman province when they tolerated the Jews to go do their thing because really everybody was supposed to honor and worship the emperor because they deified the emperor, made him, you know, a god. But if you were a Jew, you could do your own thing because it caused less problems for the Romans. But they would keep a record, they'd keep a book, of everybody who was supposed to be in there. 
And when it was time for you to go to synagogue, and it was time for you to worship, the Romans all knew this, all the soldiers that would be policing the streets, they all knew when you were supposed to be in synagogue. And if you were a Jewish person who was walking the streets, who was a known Jew, whose name was in this book, if you were walking around, they would say, "What? Well, why aren't you in synagogue? Because when they would shut the door to the synagogue, it was shut. They, they would say, the door is shut. It's not open. They wouldn't let you come in late because you and your family showed up late. So you had to be in there on time. And, and, and when people would come to faith in Christ, when they would come to faith in Christ, the Jews would blot their name out of the book. You're not in our register anymore because you're one of those Jesus people. You're not welcome. And so the Romans would go, what are you doing? Are you, are you a, a Jew who now worships and honors Caesar as God? And they would think maybe you converted and they would be okay with that, but if you stood for Jesus and said, no, I'm a Jesus follower, and they got kicked out, you ran the risk of being someone who caused a disturbance, being thrown into the prison. And in that town where Jesus gives them this prophetic word, he says that I'm writing your name in this Lamb's book of life, and no one can blot it out, and I'm opening a door for you that no man can shut. You see, this is the good news of the gospel, that the people who were on the outside, who've been outcast even by the religious system of their day, Jesus says, I'm still open the door that nobody can shut. They they got a book. Well, guess what? I got a book too. This is what Jesus was saying, and this is what he's still saying to you today. This is the good news of, of exploring this love of God. I don't deserve to be in that book. I haven't done anything to earn my spot in that book. But Jesus says your name is in that book. If you have faith in me, if you trust in me, I want to know more about a God who has chosen to love me and put my name in this book and not blot it out, even though I've been such a terrible person, even though, man, on my, on my best day, I'm still not worthy. But Jesus has made me worthy. The only thing good in me is Jesus. So now, like we have been saying for the past few weeks, man, it's not about good people and bad people like the world wants to classify everybody. It's about saved people and lost people. So are you saved? Are you someone who has received the gift of salvation? Are you someone who you can be confident that your name is in Jesus' book of life, that he has opened the door, but have you walked through? Jesus said, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. Are, are, are you going to let me in? Because I've, I've made a way for you. I've made a path for you. And, and yet it's different. It's different than maybe the roads you're used to. Because, man, you want to go where everybody else goes. And there is a wide road that everybody, it seems, is going down. You look around you, there's like this wide road, and Jesus says, I've got a road too. I've got a path, and it's there for you. But, man, it, it's straight, it's narrow. And few people find it, but man, when you find that road, you find life, and you find life everlasting. That is the road, the pathway to understanding the love of God. And when I think about the richness and the depth of the grace of the gospel, what it does in me, it expands the borders of my heart, man. And now when I interact with other people, I see them differently. I look at people differently now. I look at my close relationships differently. I look at the people I want to surround myself with differently. I look at the fruit of my own life differently. Not to bring condemnation, but to bring a checkup 
an evaluation. Say, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to do? What do, you, what, what do you want me to know? You see, you don't love God by trying. You love God by accepting his love for you. That's how you love God. Because some people are like, I want to try so hard to love God. No, it, it, it's actually a receiving thing. And it's a receiving by faith. And we want so badly to do something about it. We want so badly to contribute. I love the old uh, preacher, Jonathan Edwards, famously said that the only thing we contributed to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. <laughs> it's the only thing you and I contributed to it. You see, we are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. If I try to earn a gift, all of a sudden it doesn't become a gift. If I hand you a gift and you say, oh, let me pay you back. Let me earn this. Let me deserve. Let me, let me make myself deserve this by somehow reimbursing you. No, it's a gift. That's the beauty of a gift. You did nothing to earn it or deserve it, but it's free. Man, when, when, when I understand he loved me first, it changes my perception of the way I interact with people. If you're living a life trying hard to earn something from God, you will spend your life trying to get others to earn something from you. You'll live a life trying to control others. You'll have unrealistic expectations. The love of God helps you to have the right heart, the right equipping to navigate unmet expectations because you will have unmet expectations. But when I have the love of God on the inside of me, when people don't respond the way I hoped that they did, and I'm one of these guys, the man I think about every scenario, every situation, every potential outcome, especially in hard conversations or in difficult times. I try to think about every possible solution to give myself the outcome. And I'll, I'll even like kind of role play it in my head of how I think it's going to go based on how well I might know the person. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked into rooms to have conversations with people thinking that things may go a certain way and then they go completely different, Amen. both for the good and the bad. Because sometimes I walk in like really nervous and apprehensive and people are actually really good. And I'm like, Wow, <laughs> that wasn't at all how I had that in my head. Then I, I have other times where I'll role play these things in my head, get all anxious, all worried. And I'll think, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to go, go really well. And it goes really, really, really bad. I've done that too. And you have. We've all done that. And we spend so much effort, so much energy trying to control outcomes and trying to control people. And so we have unmet expectations when those things happen. And what we say is that that's not right, that's not fair, my expectations aren't met. This, this wasn't supposed to go this way in my head. What do we do? Well, if I'm healthy, if I pursue this love of God, it gives me the security I need to navigate hurt, to navigate patience, forgiveness, grace, pursuing unity. It gives me all those tools when it comes to relationships. It gives me all those tools when it comes to navigating the challenges there. All these things are necessary for building and maintaining healthy relationships. And what it does is it shrinks the door of opportunity for the enemy to cause division and to drive wedges. Isn't God much, much smarter than you or I? <laughs> that it's actually his love that actually shrinks that door of opportunity for offense to set up in our heart. So let's examine the fruit, man. I, I hope this message has helped you to maybe have some, some criteria to look at, 
to be able to evaluate your relationships, the people that you're spending the most time with, the people you're listening to, the environment that you're exposing your heart and your mind to, man. Uh, who are those people you're choosing to spend time with? Sometimes you're like forced to spend time with people, right? I get that. You work with so-and-so. Yeah, I know. I do too, believe me. No, I'm kidding. I, <laughs> now you guys are like all wondering which, which person on staff does this Pastor Derek? No, I love them all equally, by the way. But we all have challenges. Maybe at work, maybe it's at home. Maybe it's with a neighbor. Maybe you're like, I'm gonna wait till so-and-so gets done walking their dog before I go out for my evening walk. You know, you're like looking out the window like the Jehovah's Witnesses are coming over or something. You know, like, <laughs> and you're like wanting to like leave. You don't want to engage. You don't want to interact. And I get that. That's what humans do. But, 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 but. When I have the love of God shed abroad in my heart, it expands the borders of my heart, man. It changes. I, I need a fresh revelation, Lord, of the love that you have for me. Amen, church? I need a fresh revelation, Lord. I need to be pursuing more of a revelation of how much you love me because it impacts the people I spend time with. It impacts the way I see myself, see others, see purpose that you have for me. Am I leaning into that? Or am I leaning into my own understanding what I can control? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things, Jesus said, hangs all the law and the prophets.